we're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Let's clap our hands if we believe in God in this place. Well, we love you, God. We're so glad that you are with us, Lord. Excellent. Welcome, everybody, to Redemption Church in Plano, Texas. We are glad to have you here with us for our new series. Welcome to all our online viewers. We have people up in Michigan with us. We have people out in Alabama with us. We've got people even in Plano with us. I mean, everywhere. It's where if you are checking us out online, if you're with us today, please let, give us a like. Please let us know you're there. We bless you in Jesus' name. And all of you wonderful people in this room, how are you today? Excellent. Yeah. yeah, can I get thumbs up around here? Excellent. I love you guys. I'm so glad to be starting this new sermon series with you. I want to talk really quick about your Bible. Oh, real, first, I should do this. Guys, kids, our kids are in here today. Can we hear it for our kids? Yeah. We are going to try something brand new. We're going to do a sermon series and aim it right at our kids. We want our kids in here. And kids, do you have sermon notes with you? You're going to take sermon notes? It's the only time our kids are quiet when you talk to them. Kids, we have sermon notes. Are you going to take sermon notes? All right. I just want you to know that there might, there's a rumor that if we have evidence that you're taking really good sermon notes, you might get a reward. Whoa. Yeah, there's something about that pastor. He likes it when people take notes and he wants to reward that. And we're, we're handing them out uh, in this place. If you need one, uh, just right back there. They'll be able to get you one. All right, your Bible. Somebody say, yo, Bible. Your Bible. That's what we're going to be talking about for one moment, yo, Bible. It's that book. It's got pages on it, or you might be accessing it digitally on your phone or your computer, or maybe you memorized it like Rick. Your Bible is an important book. It's God's word. And your Bible reveals three things I want you to know about. It reveals truth. It reveals God's identity, and it reveals your identity. We just sang that song, I am who he says I am. So you will learn about the I am God by reading your book and you will learn about you is. You'll learn about who you are by reading your Bible. It would be good to read your Bible, but few people actually read their Bible. And they're, they're, here's, uh, here's a reason why. 
It's complicated. Look at somebody say, it's complicated. complicated. Raise your hand if you've ever thought that about the Bible while you're trying to read through that thing. What you've, you've, Okay, I'm going to read my Bible. There, there, some of us, we've actually sat down with, all right, I'm going to read my Bible. And you like turn and you're like, what in the world? And they're like, I don't even know what to do with this, right? Well, your Bible is complicated because your Bible's not a single book. It's a book of books. And your Bible is a story of stories. It's one book, but it's made up of many books. And it's one story, but it's made up of many stories. In this series, long story short, we're going to try to help you understand your Bible. We're going to try to focus on significant stories in your Bible. We're going to make them short and as simple as possible. We're going to help reveal the singular common thread through these stories. There is a common thread that runs through your Bible. There is a theme that shows up in every story. Do you know this theme and this thread. Does anybody know? You can go ahead and spoil it. Say it out loud. It is Jesus. John chapter 539. Jesus said these words. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Jesus is saying right there that the stories in your Bible are about him. Hashtag long story short. Hashtag all about Jesus. The hundreds of stories in your Bible are about one story, the story of Jesus. And this actually simplifies things. We make a long story short uh, by, by always going back to Jesus. Whenever your Bible is complicated and confusing, go back to what you know to be true about Jesus and use that truth about Jesus to understand what you're reading. As Jesus said, these stories testify about him. So that's our outline. Now we're ready to jump in. Here we go. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. This is the creation account in your Bible. Quick show of hands. Have you read the creation account before? All right, if you've never read it before, that's also awesome because we're going to talk about it. You're going to learn about it. Now, warning, 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 warning. There are a lot of arguments that can take place over the first chapter of your Bible. And most of these arguments are about two words, faith and science. Jesus is not the answer this time. But next time, we'll be there. Faith and science. Who's ever seen those arguments be flying around? All right. And, and science says the world is billions of years old. And the Bible seems to suggest that the world is thousands of years old. Uh, science says the big bang, about, uh, thing, says words like big bang and evolution. And the Bible just simply says God created. How does the Bible compare to science? The Bible is not a science book. We're going to start right there. The Bible is not a science book. It really does not make sense to treat it like a science book. Would you treat Harry Potter like a science book? 
no, you wouldn't. Harry Potter's not written as a science book, right? You wouldn't be, well, that's impossible, and just slam it. That is a supernatural thing. I don't believe it, right? No one does that to the Harry Potter. But people do that when they read about supernatural acts in the Bible, and they go, that's impossible. With, and scientifically, that just doesn't make sense. I want to start right here by telling you, your Bible is not a science book, and it's not supposed to be treated that way. Okay, ask, I want you to ask this question. What is Genesis chapter 1 and, verse, and chapter 2 trying to show us? What is it trying to show us? And as you read through the Bible, kids, you need to be asking that question. What is this trying to teach me? And that's a good prayer. God, what are you trying to teach me? In these words, we're going to jump to this. Creation is who versus how. And as you read through the first two chapters of the Bible, you're either going to focus on who or you're going to focus on how. And that's going to completely change how you read those chapters. Science describes how. And as we look in the Bible, we'll see that the Bible describes who. How did distinct animals and vegetation come into being? Did they evolve over time from a single cell that just somehow crawled up on the seashore? Is that what happened? These are the questions that science will ask. And then if we, we think scientifically, we'll try to find evidence for that in the scripture. The Bible does not spend much time on how. It focuses on who. So let's turn to the very beginning very good, Bia. It focuses on God. That's right. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 1 and look at verse 11. This is an example of, of how God creates. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to the various kinds. And it was so. So what happens there? God just says, I want to create this. Let it be. And it is. Verse 12. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw it was good. Is this a focus on how? Other than him saying, let it be, and it was so, there's not a whole lot of how here. But there is a lot of who here. It focuses on who. The scripture does not endorse nor negate evolution. I, I'm sure I'll get pushback on that, and that's okay. But the Bible is not trying to prove or disprove evolution to you. Science books are written by who? Scientists. Scientists very good. Genesis is written by who? It's, oh, it's tricky, right? The guy who held the pen of Genesis is a shepherd. On the backside of a wilderness. And his name is Moses. Moses. You can write that down. M-O-S-E-S. -E He's the guy who wrote the first five books of your Bible. Was he a scientist? No. Scientists think about what? Science. Very good. What, what do shepherds think about? Sheep. And as they're out there, they're thinking about God. And that's who Moses is. He's thinking about God. I want you to imagine with me. Can anybody imagine? Kids, can you all imagine? Imagine God speaks to Moses. And he says, 
Moses. Evolution. It's a thing. And Moses is like, oh, thank you, Lord. That is so good. What's evolution? He said, no idea what evolution is. This is thousands of years ago. Evolution hasn't hardly been around a hundred years. So he, he's not thinking these ways. Or just the opposite. It wouldn't make sense the other way. Moses, evolution, it's not a thing. He's like, praise God. I'm so happy about that. Now, if you could just explain what that is. What is evolution? So Moses and the rest of the ancient world was not concerned with the scientific how as much as they were concerned with the, with the who that created. And all of the creation story focuses on the creator. When we talk about the creation story, we really ought to talk about the creator story because it's really about him. The creation story is meant to personify the creator. Say personify. What does personify mean? It means to give personal qualities and movements to a subject. Example, the wind causes the trees to dance. Now, trees don't actually dance, right? But when they are moved by the wind, it looks like they are dancing. And so you, you attribute a personable description to a subject. And that is what it means to personify. To help us understand this, I spent a lot of time this week. I've really sat down and I thought about it. I want to draw for you a picture of God. I worked on it right here. What, who, who's, who's very proud of my work today? I even framed it. My dad is the only one that's proud of me. He's always been proud of my art. We can hang it on the fridge, Dad. I worked really hard on this picture of God. I thought a lot about God, and I wanted to draw him for you. Is that how you would draw God? Anybody? Well, let me tell you. God in your Bible is described as invisible. God in your Bible is described as omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. Good luck drawing God if he's everywhere. You can't draw God if he's everywhere. There's not enough paper. How about this? God's a spirit. How are you going to draw a spirit that's invisible and everywhere? And then there's this other one, a word so big we hardly understand it. He's holy. What crayon are you going to use to draw holy, okay? I don't know what crayon that is. Linda, what color would you use to draw God as holy? These are words we don't understand. How do you draw something invisible that's a spirit that's everywhere and holy? So I think my picture's pretty good. Now who likes my picture? Now here's the real big deal about this because how do you have a relationship with an invisible, everywhere, holy spirit? How do you begin to have a relationship you can't contemplate him. So how do you have a relationship with this person? And I want to I bring to you this conclusion that Genesis, right at the beginning, chapters 1 and 2, is trying to fill in your picture of God so that you'll be able to have 
a relationship with him. Let's look together. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit, it's also the word breath of God, was hovering over the waters. If there's breath there, that makes you think of what? Lungs maybe. So if, if we had our, our picture up again, sorry, you don't have to put a picture, but now picture God with lungs, breathing. What is this? This is personification. This is giving personal attributes to the subject that is God. God has breath, y'all. Verse two. God hovers and God draws near. Verse three. And God said, what does that make us think? If God says, what does that mean? It means he has a mouth. It means he has a tongue to articulate. It means he has vocal cords that he can talk just like you and I can talk. And he says, let there be light. And there was light. God saw. What does that make us think? God has eyes. So now he has lungs. He has vocal cords. He has a mouth. And he has eyes. And he hovers. He can move and he can draw Near Does that help maybe someone who has no comp, con, uh, uh, concept of God? Does that help them understand him a little more? That's what it's trying to teach us. God said, God talks, God saw, he sees. Verse uh, chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. Now imagine, how would you form something from the dust of the ground? What would you use to form? Would you move your hands? Now picture God having hands and he uses those hands to dig in the dirt and to create Adam. And then he uses his breath to breathe into Adam and Adam comes alive. God forms the dust. God has hands. And our breath is his breath. Genesis is helping us get a picture of God. We have this blank canvas not understanding God. And Genesis is slowly but surely filling in some ideas of God for us so that we can have a relationship with God. I want to tell you that the creator God provides everything we need. I'd like you to say that sentence out loud. The creator God provides everything we need. On what day does God create man? Do we know? Kids, do you all know? Six days. Bia is getting the gold star today. Jeff, just not quick enough. Bia's, just love you, Bia. That's so sweet. On sixth day, God creates man. Now, I want you to reimagine with me. Imagine, what if God would have created Adam on day one? Why not create Adam on day one? Well, I'll tell you. What? 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 What are you going to say? Well, he he created the world first, right? Now that's a good point. All right, good. So listen, imagine he creates Adam on day one. You know what would happen immediately? Adam would suffocate because air and atmosphere wasn't created till day two. So God needed to create air and atmosphere before he created Adam. Do you agree? All right, so what if he created atmosphere and then created Adam? Well, you know what would happen? Adam would be like, I can't see. I can't see. And God would go, oh, that's right. 
I was supposed to create light first. And that's what he created on day one. So imagine now he's created atmosphere and light, and then he creates Adam. All right, Adam, how are you? And Adam's like, look, 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 look. He's under the water because God hadn't created land yet. God, God creates the ground on day three. You see, God had a purpose. He created what Adam would need before he created Adam. God works like that. He creates what you need before you need it. He creates what you need before you even arrived. The creator God provides everything we need before we need it. Who believes that's true? You know what this means? It means that you are not an afterthought. That he did all of this for you. God not only created you, but everything you would need beforehand. God also created Adam, Adam's good works in advance. He creates Adam and has things for him to do. But he created the works for him to do before he created Adam. What did he create? He created plants. And Adam was to tend the garden. He created the animals. And Adam was to have dominion over the animals and name them. So not only does God create you, but he creates the works for you to do in advance. And Paul talks about this in your New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you understand this? So Paul is not just coming up with that. The God's revealing that to him. And it's what's on display in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. So we have a God revealing who he is so we can have a relationship with him. And then he creates us, but he doesn't just create us haphazardly. He creates all that we would ever need. And all that we need to have a fulfilling life he's created. And then he creates us. God has created what you need in advance. The creator God provides everything we need before we need it. Except... For two things. He created everything that Adam would need except for two things. Y'all pay attention to this. Some of y'all have never seen this in your Bible. In fact, I haven't seen it until a few days ago. He creates two things after he creates Adam and not before. Think about it. Do you know what they are? Can you guess what it is? Anybody want to offer a guess? Eve. Eve created later. Yeah. What else? What's the seventh day? Rest. It's the day of rest. All right, I want to produce to you that God created relationship and rest after he created us. What's that about? You see, God doesn't waste a moment to teach. This is a teaching moment. God creates Adam without a soulmate. God creates Adam before resting on the seventh day. So Adam will always remember a time he didn't have someone. And God will, Adam will always remember a time where he couldn't rest to teach him what that's like. Why would he do that? To break, this is a break from the pattern of providing what we need before we need it. 
God did this out of order to teach Adam what he needed. Adam remembers a time before Eve when he was alone. And he remembers how God reached into him. How does he create Eve? He reaches into him. He changes him on the inside and produces relationship for him. I'm telling you, if you want a godly relationship, you have got to allow the creator to reach inside of you, Adam, to come really close to your heart. What is the rib? He takes out a rib. Where is the rib? It's right by your heart. And God reaches into Adam. If you want relationship, I got news for you. You know what it's like to be alone. But God can reach into your loneliness. And he can bring out change in you and bring right in front of you relationship. Isn't that beautiful? That's right in, in, the, first, in the second chapter of your Bible that God does that. And then Adam remembers the time before rest. And Adam remembers how God taught him to rest. God teaches him how to rest. And the seventh day was God's day of rest. And we call that a special word. It's the word Sabbath. Kids, that's spelled S-A-B-B-A-T-H. Who provided the relationship for Adam? God. When you need a relationship, you should go to who? God. God will do something on the inside. Who provided rest for Adam? God. When you need rest and peace, who should you go to? God. And God will provide. Because God is a personal provider. And this is the theme of Genesis 1 and 2. Everything Adam and Eve needed was provided by a God they had a personal relationship with. Is this your story? Is that your story? That God is providing everything that you need? If God's your provider, you don't have to freak out. You come to the Lord. And it's a Lord not that's far away. It's not a blank piece of paper, God. It's a God with the heart. It's a God with hands. It's a God with the mind. It's a God with lips and breath and lungs and feet. So now it's a God that you can have a personal relationship with. Is, is that your God? Kids, I want that to be your God. I want that to be your picture of God. That he is someone you can call on when you need anything. If God is a personal provider... Why would we seek for provision anywhere else? Why would we do that? In fact, this is the part of the story where everything ends happily ever after. Don't you agree? You've read your Bible. This is where everything just goes perfectly fine. Wait, what? What's that behind me, kids? A, 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 a serpent, Right? Snakes, why did it have to be snakes? Indiana Jones, sorry. With a personal God, they could have lived happily ever after. But something showed up in that garden, and it was a snake. Although God provided everything that Adam and Eve would ever need, they looked for provision elsewhere. Do you know what it's called when we look for provision outside of God's will? There's a three-letter word for that. It's sin. When we look for provision outside of the provider God, that is where sin 
comes in. That's what sin is. Sin is looking for provision outside of God. In Genesis 3, a snake slithered up and everything changes. The snake spoke. Who did it speak to first? Do you remember? Eve. Eve. It spoke to Eve. And it told her, it did not say, God's such a good God. Did, did it say that? Did the snake say, you've got it so wonderful here. God's such a wonderful provider. No. He, the snake slithers up and he tells Eve, don't trust God. Don't look to his provision. Who is this snake? Give us another name for him. He's Satan or he's the devil. He's the good guy or the bad guy? He's the bad guy. I've been telling you, the snake still exists. It's the bad guy in all of our stories. Adam and Eve both ate of the fruit that God had not provided them to eat. And that's when they sinned. And that's when everything changed. At once, the way they viewed the world changed. The way they viewed themselves changed. And the way they viewed others changed. It all changed. And they died spiritually. Everyone say spiritually. Spiritually. There's more than one kind of death. This is hard to understand. Remember, God said, if you eat of that fruit, you will die. 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 But then they're still walking around. They didn't die. They experienced a death. It wasn't a physical death yet, but it was a spiritual death. Sin brings a spiritual death, and eventually it brings a physical death. God created them to live and to not die, but sin brings death. It brings death to a clean heart. It brings death to a peaceful mind, and it will literally bring death to all that you are if you allow it. Looking for provision outside of God will never lead to life. If you look to drugs for life, you'll never find it. If you, if you look to stealing from others, if I just steal enough money, then I'll have a good life. No, you won't. It never leads to life. I want to ask you, how does God respond to Adam and Eve? Think about this. This is really important because this helps us understand our picture of God. How does God respond to Adam and Eve? I want to tell you that God could have erased them from creation. He could have said, well, the garden's beautiful, but these two, let's just white out. Let's get them out of here. Let's erase them. God could have done that. He's the creator. He didn't. And God could have tortured Adam and Eve. He could have gotten, I'm so mad at you, I'm going to make you hurt. And I'm going to make you hurt forever. God didn't do that. And God could have destroyed Adam and Eve instantly, like vaporized them. He could have done it. But the God who was a personal provider in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 remained a personal provider in Genesis chapter 3. See, this is a thing you got to learn about God. I can't really draw this in my picture book. But it's an important thing about God. He never changes. He's unchanging. How do you draw a picture of unchanging quality? I don't know how you do it. But God is 
unchanging. Who he is in Genesis 1 is who he is in Genesis 3. And it's who he is for the rest of your Bible. Did he love Adam and Eve in Genesis 1? Did he love Adam and Eve in Genesis 2? He still loved Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Now let me ask you, does God love you when you're born? Yeah. Does God love you as you're growing up? Does God love you even when you sin? Yes. Why? Because God never changes. And God loves you always. He says, I will always be with you. Always. I am always looking over you. Always. My word is always true. I will never lie to you. He's an always God who never changes. If you will get to know this God, I'm telling you, in 50 years, he will be the same wonderful God that you meet today. That's who our God is. And I'm so glad about it because like Adam and Eve, we all sin. And God could totally annihilate us. But instead, he loves us. And he provides for us. Someone say provides. provides. And this is where Jesus shows up as a theme in our story. It's an important verse. This is a verse, kids, you ought to write down. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And we'll explain it. God says that I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first prophecy or promise of Jesus Christ in your Bible. Jesus is literally in this verse right here in Genesis 3. Can I tell you just like you're not an afterthought? Jesus is not an afterthought. The seed, that's the child. This word for seed right here, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring right here, offspring right here. This is a word for means child. That the serpent will have a child, but Eve will have a child. The seed, the child, the offspring of the serpent and the child of Eve, they're not going to be friends. They're going to be enemies. That's what enmity means, that you're an enemy. They're already enemies in the garden. But one of the woman's children will crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent will bruise his heel. Kids, let's talk about something gross. Have you ever seen a bug in your home? What did you do to it? When you don't want that bug crawling around your house, what do you do? You take your foot and you step on it. And if it's really gross, you'll actually hear it. Anybody see that? What you're doing, all right, kids, you are crushing that bug with your foot. Is that bug going to survive that? Not unless it's one of those awful cockroaches that never seems to die. So what's happening here is that the head of the serpent is going to be crushed By the foot of Jesus. So the serpent's head is like that bug that just got squashed in your bathroom. But the foot of Jesus, the heel of Jesus, is going to be bruised. All right. I want to tell you real quick. Do you know when Jesus hung on the cross? Tell me, yeah, if you know about the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross, it says that they put spikes through his 
hands, and also a single spike through his feet. Now, they have looked in history, and they have found old bones of crucifixions. And they have seen that they did not put the, the spike through this part of the foot. They put their feet together where the heels lined up. And they put the spike through the heel. Through the heel. His heel was hurt. But through that act, he crushed the head of our enemy. That's Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. That's the beginning of your Bible. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about how God wants to provide for you. Who is Jesus? When mankind needed a Savior, God provided Jesus as Savior. When we needed someone to defeat the enemy, the devil, God provided the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, to defeat him. When we needed someone to cover all our sins and wash all of our sins away, God sent Jesus the perfect lamb and sacrifice. Jesus is our personal provider. Say those words with me. Jesus is our personal provider. I want to tell you this. Every kid, every eye, every person, bless you three times, everyone. Right here, look at me. This is, I've waited all week to tell you these next words. Jesus is the very same God that we just talked about in Genesis chapter 1. Did y'all get that? Jesus is the same God who created the world. Jesus is that same God we couldn't see. We had that blank canvas, but now we can see. Jesus is that same God born into humanity so that he could personally provide everything that we need. When you picture the God of creation, imagine that frame I had, and it was blank. Now in your mind's eye, I want you to fill your picture of God with one person. And it's Jesus. When you picture the God of creation, you should picture someone say his name. Jesus. Jesus. I want our musicians to come. Kids, families, everybody. We're going to be worshiping God together. We're going to be talking to God together. I've got a few more things to to say. And then we're going to do that together. Is that all right with y'all? I've got a verse for you. It's in the New Testament. This is written a thousand years after Genesis 3.15. It's Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Let's look up here. Everyone paying attention. I know people moved around in the room, but pay attention. Right here. Everybody looking at me. Right here, right here. It says the Son, that's Jesus, is the image. We could say picture. He is the visual He is the image of the invisible God. 
go back. Remember that picture and how it was empty? It had the invisible God you couldn't see in it. Now Jesus is that God that you see. And it says this, the firstborn over all creation. Verse 16. Now this is talking about Jesus who hung on the cross. Verse 16. For in him all things were Say it again. In who? In Jesus. Jesus created all things. How can that be? Because he is that same God. He is that same God. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. I want you to get that picture of God today as Jesus. When we're singing about Jesus, we're not just singing about a dude that lived a long time ago. We're singing about the God who created us. And that same God who provided in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, he was on the cross providing for us. And that Jesus that we end every prayer in Jesus' name. It's the same God of Genesis chapter 1. When you talk to God today, I want you to call him by name. Call him Jesus. Imagine him. See him. Believe in him. Jesus is that God we met in Genesis 1. And Jesus, in Jesus, God is more personable than ever. Now, Jesus, you can have a relationship with. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Everybody listening to me, it is so important that you have a relationship with Jesus. It's so important that our families have relationship with Jesus. It's important that our kids have relationship with Jesus. That's what it is all about. Jesus is God in a total personal way where you can have a relationship with him. And Jesus is our personal provider. I want you to... Know that Jesus is here personally. And you can ask him personally. And you can call on him personally. It's personal. He he doesn't just do it for someone else. He does it for you personally. And then Jesus is also that provider. Anything that you need today, you can ask Jesus and he will provide it for you. He will give it for you. If you need peace in your heart, he'll give it to you. If you need healing, he will give it to you. If you need joy and happiness and peace, he will give it to you. Whatever it is you need, you might not even understand it, but he's God. He understands it. You can talk to him. These altars are open right now. Why don't we talk to the Lord in this place? Why don't we ask Jesus to come into our hearts? Lord Jesus, you are God, and we ask you to come be in us. Father, in Jesus' name. If you want special prayer, I want you to come in the first two feet. I want you to be lifting up who Jesus is today. All my friends watching, listening online, I want to tell you that Jesus is with you. You can call on him. He will provide all that you need. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to sing. Father, in Jesus' name, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we ask you to meet every need personally. Lord, we ask you to provide all that we need, God, in Jesus' name. For more information about redemption, look us up online at redemption-church.com. 
We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.